Hi there. My name is Ushin Lunny, and this is Audio Matters, a weekly podcast on all things audio, presented to you by Harman. This week on Audio Matters, we have a very special episode dedicated to the incredible John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, D.C. Every year, the Kennedy Center welcomes over 2 million visitors who attend up to 3,000 performances and exhibits, including over 400 free performances and events. That amount of people attending that number of concerts needs a massive sonic backbone. So this week on Audio Matters, we're going to go behind the scenes to bring you the secret life of one of the world's most prestigious venues and reveal the state of the arts at the Kennedy Center. And this week, I'm thrilled to be joined by two of the top professionals in the field who know the audio secrets of the Kennedy Center inside out. John Burke has been in charge of the AV system design and build at the Kennedy Center since 1984. And Raul Gonzalez is Senior Applications Engineer for Performance Audio at Harman Professional. So first things first. The Kennedy Center is quite possibly the most prestigious performing arts center on the planet. John, talk to us a bit about the sheer quantity of events that normally takes place at the Kennedy Center. In general, we have anywhere between 2,500 to 3,000 performances. Uh, I think this year we were a little more because with the opening of our new facility, The Reach, we had 300 various performances over a three-week period. Everything from major concerts by the likes of Thievery Corporation, Trombone Shorty, to operas, comedians, films. So that that was quite a big programming initiative for us. But basically, the main building of the Kennedy Center was actually chartered as the uh, National Performing Arts Center in 1958 under the Eisenhower administration. And during its development phases, you know, of course, President Kennedy was assassinated and then it became the Kennedy Center, and we are actually a living memorial to John F. Kennedy, unlike the Washington Monument or the Lincoln Memorial that's really just sort of a statue. This is a place where people come and enjoy the arts. The arts were very important to President Kennedy. We house nine stages, a dozen rehearsal rooms, so at any given time, we could have 10 to 15 performances going on in our buildings. We are the largest performing arts center under one roof. There are places like Lincoln Center that are spread across the city. But as far as theaters and performing spaces, this is the biggest in the world, to my knowledge. The theaters, we have a 2,700-seat concert hall, which is home to the National Symphony Orchestra. Uh, Next to that is our opera house, which holds about 2,100 people. That's where the Kennedy Center Honors is filmed every year. Uh, the concert hall, by the way, that's where we film the Mark Twain Awards for comedians. Uh, but the opera house is where we do the Washington National Opera, uh, Broadway touring shows play there, as well as large ballets like the Joffrey Ballet, New York City Ballet. Um, the Eisenhower Theater is a 1,700-seat proscenium theater that does a pretty large cross-section of programming. We'll do jazz programming in there. Uh, Modern Dance, uh, our Broadway Center Stage uh, series is produced there, which is concert stagings of famous Broadway shows. Uh, Upstairs, we have our Terrace Theater, which is a 500-seat chamber music space. Uh, We also have our 
theater lab, which has, has sheer madness playing in it, but we also have Second City come in for residencies there. That holds about 400 people. Uh, we also have our family theater, which holds about 300 people. Um, and that's basically for youth programming. Um, unlike many theaters, we have our own artistic staff, not just programmers and people like that, but we actually have artistic leaders like uh, Mo Willems, who does our works on our children's programming. He's our, our director in residence. Jason Moran is our director of jazz. Mason Bates is our composer in residence. Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest is our advisor to hip-hop programming. So we also have education departments. Uh, We house very special arts. It goes on and on. Fantastic. And uh, I noticed on your website that you're doing a lot of stuff on a quote-unquote digital stage now. So I saw things from Ben Foles, John Legend, Queen Esther. Uh, Mo Wellams, as you mentioned, is doing his doodles for the kids, uh, which is so sweet. And uh, as we record this episode, much of the world is under a lockdown due to the coronavirus pandemic. And the Kennedy Centre is closed for the very first time in its 49-year history. So what's happening right now inside the centre? I believe that's something you're both working on. It's, it's kind of sad that you're coming to an empty building, but uh, this amount of dark time is allowing us to do a lot of maintenance as well as upgrades. Uh, our Eisenhower Theatre is getting a completely new uh, sound system based around the uh, JBL A8 speakers, as well as their other uh, VTX series products uh, and crown amplifiers. Uh, We're retaining the Studer console that's in there. But that's the sort of thing that we would have tried to have shoehorned in, you know, in a matter of days and had to done it in phases. But now we're able to take our time, do the job as we see fit. So that's one thing. Concert hall, we just swapped over to all uh, four by 3,500 crown amplifiers for the PA system, you know, so, and then there's all the things like electrical upgrades, you know, tightening down circuits, opera house, they peeled up the floor and put down new masonite and painted it. So it's, it's given us a chance to get, essentially do a deep cleaning. So. Wow. There's no rest at the Kennedy center then during the lockdown. That's pretty inspiring. But we want, (laughs) we want shows back. Yeah, of course. Don't don't we all? I think you speak for all of us. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. You have both worked together for almost 20 years. Is that right? Yeah. I uh, started collaborating with John in 2001. It's a unique venue where all of John's uh, systems are JBL-centric. Uh, and so all of the rooms have some version of a JBL loudspeaker system. And it's it's a great it's a great opportunity for us to continue that symbiotic relationship where, over the years. Fantastic! And the, the symbiotic relationship you mentioned that goes way way back. Uh, tell us a bit about how it all came together between Dr. Harmon and the Kennedy Center back in the day. Dr. Harmon had been a friend of the Kennedy Center long before we started using Harmon product. I think he was the Undersecretary of the Treasury under the Jimmy Carter administration, and that's where he met his. At that time, he met his wife. Even though JBL was based in Northridge, Dr. Harmon had roots in Washington. And he, of course, loved the arts, you know, be it performing arts, visual arts, uh, sculptures, paintings, things like that. And uh, after we did a renovation to the concert hall, 
I was talking with one of our local vendors and we, we were discussing JBL and so on. Uh, I'd said, you know, what about getting Harmon to work with us? And he, he said, funny, you mentioned that he goes, uh, Dr. Harmon would love to start working with the Kennedy center. All of the theaters have been renovated over the last, the course of the last 20 years. That was all driven by the American with disabilities act. Uh, we needed to get more, more accessible bathrooms, uh, better seating locations rather than just seating somebody in the back of a house. We want to let, you know, people sit where, wherever they can, uh, aisle waves were made wider, steps were removed, things like that. And that's, that's a pretty major construction project. So when you enter into something that big, it was also an opportunity for us to do upgrades. Uh, none of the theaters had had any significant upgrades since the place first opened in 1971. So ever since then, when we've the Opera House, Eisenhower Theater, Terrace Theater, the building of our family theater, uh, the renovation of the theater lab, and now the Reach, Harmon has been very involved, just a, a fantastic partner with that. And like I said, beyond, beyond working with us on a professional level, Dr. Harmon and Representative Harmon, Ms. Harmon, have were very good friends of the programming of the symphony of the opera and so on and they're nice people too dr harm was a fun, was a funny guy <laughs> you know we'd meet with them maybe once a year just to talk about business and so on and uh he and my boss at that point just got along great and um we always look forward to, to hearing from dr Harmon. Oh, fantastic. That's such a lovely story. I, I like that. The personalities behind the tech and behind these amazing sound systems. Um, so, Raul, you, you have actually installed, uh, I, I'd imagine, you know, much of this equipment. Is that correct? It's a, it's a, it's a unique facility, uh, the Kennedy Center, because uh, their staff, it's, they're really top professionals. So our job is to help provide, you know, uh, design concepts and try to guide them to what are the best solutions from our, you know, variety of loudspeakers. And it's interesting because uh, the Kennedy Center, if you go there now, uh, I was just there last summer, um, you can actually go through all of the different performance spaces and actually see a lot of the history of JBL professional products. You know, I think that the one of the systems that I saw recently, John, is the Array series is, is still in play, as well as some of the AM series. So, you know, if you look at it historically, there are there are products that are still in use that go back to the mid '90s, uh, early '90s, uh, and then there are, there are systems like the one he just mentioned, uh, the VTX A8, that is our new flagship product. So as you move from, from one performance space to another, you can kind of see a chronological history of many of our professional products. And, you know, it's great to be able to collaborate with a, with a team like John's because they are very knowledgeable. They do all the installations themselves. So our job is to help basically do proof of concept, make sure that this is the right product for that space, make sure that the system is being installed with the right accessories, Make sure that the system is ultimately optimized for that space, for the particular uh, events that will take place at that venue, and so forth. So it's, it's been a great, like I said, symbiotic collaboration where we get to to uh, partake with them in making sure the system performs to their needs, which are very different from show to show. There is a group of us 
who basically, you know, keep John's cell phone on speed dial. And, and we know that if John or any of his staff members are calling us on a Sunday morning or a Saturday at midnight, it's, it's an important call. There is no downtime at the Kennedy Center. There is no, we're not working on Mondays. It's on 24-7. So, you know, things have to, if something has to get fixed, it has to be fast. It has to be probably overnight. And so we, we, we look after that very, very seriously. Indeed, indeed. So just coming back to the overview of the Kennedy Center, because it's such an impressive space and you really host a huge range of uh, different artists and different artistry, you know, from a symphonic orchestra to opera to Jay-Z to Tom York from Radiohead. Um, how do you ensure that every seat in the venue has great audio. What are some of the secrets behind the success of your audio design at the Kennedy Center? You have to listen. You have to, it's, it's, it's time and effort. You know, you could, you could lay things out on paper as much as you want, but it's, it's, it's having technicians that are, you know, if they receive a complaint about a bad seat, they're going to go and listen and see, oh yeah, this isn't covered. Gee, what do we think? Do we not have a speaker pointed here? Do I have a driver blown in a speaker? So it, it gets back to the people. But most of the people we have here were grounded in legitimate or musical theater. And in that realm, that sort of leads the business in, in coverage and intelligibility. Uh, unlike a big rock and roll tour that'll go from arena to arena night to night that you know, maybe a tour manager can go out and listen to the nosebleed seats uh, in a theater where you have you're sitting there for a month or six months or something. Your company managers, your producers, your designers, they're going to stop in and they're going to walk around and they're going to listen to those seats and they're going to want to make sure that every seat is covered as as evenly as possible. Uh, because intelligibility is king. If you if you can't hear what the person is saying, uh, a straight play or a Broadway musical makes no sense. And, and it's more challenging now because you have these musicals that come out like, uh, what's the South Park one? Book of Mormon, where they're talking in cartoon voices. Legally Blonde, where they're, you know, talking a mile a minute like a, you know, a, a valley girl. So ha- having a PA system that that's that's covering and and you know, d- delivering intelligibility to speech and so on is, is key. You know, obviously, you know, one thing that is also uh, important to mention is that in the process of, of how do you start to develop a system that will ensure proper coverage and even frequency, res- you know, SPL and, and good frequency response at every seat, you know, we also have in our cadre, uh, our support staff, a couple of fellows that are very, very talented uh, doing three-dimensional models so that we can actually offer John, you know, options and a proof of concept because there are, chal- are you know, architectural challenges. There could be, you know, columns that are kind of in the way. There could be a chandelier that it's hanging too low. So we are, have the ability to create these three-dimensional models in computers and actually input the loudspeaker suggestions into that model and offer John a predictive model say, look, this is if we put them here, this is the kind of coverage we're going to get. If we have these other type of loudspeakers, this is, you know, maybe we need to have more under balcony speakers. Maybe we need to have more uh, loudspeakers on the edge of the stage for the front row. 
Maybe we need to have a center cluster uh, at the back, whatever the case. In other words, we, we always try to, to base the recommendations we're giving John you know, on a very strong scientific foundation, not just you know, generic. And then once the system gets installed, it's a great collaboration because we go there and make sure that all the bits and pieces are working properly as, as a product specialist. But then you know, when you have you know, people like, like, like participate in John's team, you can actually really fine-tune the process where we are actually bringing in measurement tools to adjust the system in situ in the house, but they are the ones who know the space intimately. They actually know what kind of programming is going to come in, so they're going to go, um, I think we need a little less base response out of the system, or I think we need a little more uh, you know, top-end brightness out of the system because they know this is going to be opera jazz or it's going to be hip-hop or it's going to be whatever and so it's it's a it makes it for a great situation where often we're not left there kind of going okay is the system right for your space so you you get that immediate feedback from them because they know what it's supposed to be like right that's so interesting it's like the amazing sounds that you have at the kennedy center uh, you know in every single seat uh, is really coming from this great symbiotic relationship between the Kennedy Centre and the expertise at Harman and the amazing engineers at the Kennedy Centre themselves. Um, so I, th- I wondered, now this is something that uh, we actually spoke about uh, previously and it was a, a learning journey for me. So um, I wonder if, if our listeners may be interested in this, uh, a little brief detour for the dedicated audio geeks like myself. Um, so it, it came up in our conversation that the Democrat and the Republican conventions and indeed the presidential inaugural have something in common in terms of the technology and even the staff who are used. Talk to us a bit about articulated line array systems and Vertec. So over the last 25 years, the loudspeaker uh, systems that have been developed by many manufacturers, and JBL was at the forefront of it, uh, have moved from what we typically call point-and-shoot standard trapezoidal uh, cabinets to systems that are actually are, we call articulated line array systems. So basically, uh, it, they look, to, for, for lack of a better word, like a big banana-shaped type cluster of loudspeakers, usually not yellow. And you, know, you, you can see them on all the concerts nowadays. These type of loudspeaker arrangements have some fundamental uh, benefits, which is that they're usually small in size, but they massively, you know, put the sound where you want it and keep it away from where you don't want it. So they're able to also control the pattern coverage below the stage. So one of the things you can do is you can actually uh, work on these systems to actually use them for all kinds of applications, whether it is a sports facility, whether it is an artistic facility like John's, or whether it is massive outdoor events like a presidential inauguration. So yeah, Vertec is our line array uh, solution, which came out in 2000 for vertical technology, and which is now being upgraded to VTX uh, since uh, seven years ago. And it's the current system that John is installing now in the facility. And all of the presidential and the democratic uh, inaugurations, or I should say the, the actual conventions and the presidential inauguration have used these systems over the last 20 years. Uh, the ability to project a lot of sound pressure level and a very small footprint with very uh, small weight. And so that, that has been one of the key elements. 
that that this kind of product is is bringing to all of these kind of events. And uh, j- just sticking with the the kind of high quality for events theme, um, you know, it leads us nicely onto, of course, the Kennedy Center Honors, which uh, to quote the great. Ron Burgundy are kind of a big deal. Now, they have been running since 1978. And last year, both Earth, Wind and Fire and Sesame Street won awards, uh, which <laughs> makes me feel much happier about the world. I don't know why. It's just lovely. Uh, so this is a huge event and you have almost zero margin for error, I would imagine. What makes it work? Having the same team of people uh, and the producers of the show, uh, which we've had a couple over the years, they bring back the same people and they're simply the best at what they do, you know, be it Pat Baltzell doing sound or Bobby Dickinson doing lights or, uh, John Bradley is production supervisor. These, these are some of the best people in special event TV. So that's the start. Uh, and their approach is, okay, we have no time for air. So we bring <clears throat> the tool set that we want, and we're going to bring it in quantities that we need. If we have, you know, a half a truck of spare gear, so be it. We'll figure out what to do with that the night of the show and go hide it. Uh, but if we need an additional 20 wedges or, you know, uh, an additional pulling cart full of Martin moving lights, they're there for them at their fingertips. So that's part of that success. Uh, and then the people that all put it together, there's, they just have so much experience doing the Oscars, the Grammy Awards, uh, the Super Bowl. So it's 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 nothing's foolproof, but it's it's about as smooth an operation as they go. Uh, th- th- this really sounds like the A team. They come back every year, and uh, they love it when a plan comes together. You know, and it's very interesting that you know for that very event, you know, P- Patrick Belsell who designed the system for the Kennedy Center Honors, you know, brings in uh, one of the latest models, VTX, again, uh, line array systems, and uh, as well as several other elements. And he designs it, he fine-tunes it, he operates the system himself. And it's a, it's a majorly challenging event from the point of view of you have people who are going to be talking on a podium or a lavalier mic, and two seconds later, you're going to have you know, a band, you know, like Led Zeppelin or, you know, high SPL, high rock concert. And both, you know, both the audience are expecting you to deliver high intelligibility for that level ear mic to loud enough, clear enough all the way at the back. And when the band plays, they expect it to feel like a rock concert. So it's a, it's a challenge, you know, it's a challenge for the design It's a challenge for uh, the product implementation, you need product that can actually do both and do them well. Give gives Patrick plenty of game before feedback for his uh, lavalier podium elements, but also give him the dynamic range in, and the ability to deliver that rock concert experience. Right. With the advent of the line arrays, uh, being able to precision aim, particularly where your high, high frequency, band, you know, the bandpass that's carrying your, your vocal range, not to have it hit balcony faces and so on and come slapping back at the stage uh that's something you didn't really have when you had horizontally arrayed speakers so now he's able to put gaps in and we've actually gone to the we finally started putting uh temporary acoustical treatments in 
they look just like the existing stuff, but they actually absorb sound because, again, Pat doesn't want that high frequency shooting back into a lavalier or a podium. But now things have changed. Uh, what did you say the first year of the show was? 1978? Yeah. You know, back then, you were they were giving out of the wards to the likes of Benny Goodman, um, Ethel Merman, things like that. Well, yeah. Yeah. Now we're giving it to Led Zeppelin, uh, Bruce Springsteen, Sting. And like Raul said, the audience wants it to be a concert experience. They don't want it just to sound like a theater PA system that's playing popular music. They want sure. the, the visceral impact and uh, the improved driver and box technology, as well as the DSP technology and amplifiers and so on. Now allow, now allow, you know, allow us to get a louder, big PA sort of sound out of a much smaller array. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds like the brief you get for the speakers, you know, small in size, big in power. It's a bit like the perfect pair of shoes, small in, on the outside, big on the inside. Um, speaking of uh, the, the innovative venues that you have, uh, talk to us a bit about the Reach venue. Uh, it seems very cool and you've got some great, incredible technology like soundproofing technology and fiber optic cables and isolation. And, uh, you know, it's it's such a cool space. Ta- talk to us a bit about the Reach. The Reach, uh, the Reach is on the south end of our building. Uh, originally it was, originally it was just open space, bus turnaround. Uh, we'd park trucks there. Essentially the, the, the building was originally designed to be classrooms, uh, rehearsal rooms, some lecture halls and things like that. Again, to house a a graduate level studies and arts management. Like what the largest room was originally to be a rehearsal hall for the opera house to serve as a secondary rehearsal hall. So ballets, operas, things like that. The room is about the size of the opera house stage. Uh, that has now been turned into what we call club K. Uh, after the fact we had put in a large, uh, moving light system. We had to put in additional rigging points to fly a decent sized PA. And that's where we're doing jazz programming. Uh, there's all these hybrids of hip hop, poetry, uh, that sort of thing. So it's a, it, it's a pretty, it has the demands of any other theater, but really it was just supposed to be a rehearsal room. In our new building, there's actually what we co- originally was called a simulcast system. There's an outdoor plaza. Uh, it's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a grassy lawn and we have projectors that were put into the side of the building, the existing building. And it shoots on a giant wall. The, the reach, much of the reach is underground, you know, because they didn't, mm. they didn't want to just tack a big 70,000 square foot building on the end of the Kennedy Center. So uh, sure. there are a couple parts of the building that pop up out of the ground, like the Welcome Pavilion and some other things. But much of the building is underground. And one of the par- parts that comes up, it's a large enough wall that uh, we could actually uh, – show movies on the side of it. Like I said, it was originally set up to do simulcasts. Uh, we're looking at that right now, particularly given the, 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 the issues with COVID and so on, because that's one area where we could easily socially distance people. You know, it's a big grassy lawn that you could take field markers and say, okay, this is your square. This is your square. Hmm. And, and you're uh, fairly close to the 
helicopter path for four-star generals to visit the Pentagon, I believe. Do, do you notice any of them slowing down a bit if you're showing Mulan on the big screen or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was that was that was quite the experience. I in uh, we were there uh, last summer at the uh, at John's invitation to support the opening of the Reach uh, building, and uh, we we had uh, they had a, a very big outdoor stage between the two buildings, and we were uh, supporting them with one of our uh, VTX A8 systems for those performances. And I was not familiar with this uh, helicopter path, so f- you know. F- all of a sudden, we see these helicopters approaching, and I'm thinking, "Okay, this is it. We're we're done. We're, we're, we we got to get out of here." And, <laughs> they it, found it, us. And, and John says, "No, no, no. They're just bringing some general, you know, somewhere." I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, it's the approach path to the Pentagon. And John, one one thing that I uh, most people probably would not think about, except us audio geeks, is that all of these spaces uh, are always in use. But there is no, no sound pollution from one room to another, and so that's one of the most magnificent things where you can have somebody giving a speech or a comedy type show in one room, and the room right next to it could be you know, hosting a hip hop show, and farther down the hallway you could be having the an opera or a Broadway show, and you couldn't tell. And so the isolation between the pre-existing buildings in the spaces is fantastic. And I think that the new building, the reach, is probably even more uh, isolated. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Next year is a really special year as the Kennedy Centre is celebrating its 50th anniversary and JBL is celebrating its 75th anniversary. So that's a long heritage and a long shared heritage. Uh, a lot of really innovative stuff came to the Kennedy Center first, thanks to the relationship with Harmon. So how does this secret history of the Kennedy Center and that symbiotic relationship with Harmon mirror the history of pro audio itself? Absolutely. I think from, from us, you know, one of the things that I don't like to continue using the same word, but it is truly a symbiotic relationship. And in the sense that when you're able to collaborate with with staff like the staff at the Kennedy Center, you know, yes, we help them optimize the system in their spaces and they end up with a really good sounding sound system, but we are able to get information from their staff that immediately and quickly impacts our product development. You know, this this is the kind of feedback, qualified feedback that we want to get from professionals that are day in and day out working in, in these kind of environments so that we can actually fine-tune our products, make better products, and then, of course, you know, bring those to other facilities. So from our, you know, to, as a coincidental, you know, point, last summer when we were supporting John, uh, the opening of the REACH facility, the very same system that John was talking about in the K-Room uh, is the same system that was used outdoor for the movies, and it's the same system that was actually hanging on the portable stage for all the band's performance. So the same model of loudspeaker, the one that he's installing now uh, in one of the venues, the VTX A8, was actually the same model used for all those three facilities, whether it was the K-Space with jazz or it was the outdoor movie and you had to cover 300 feet of audience or it was all of these bands that were performing on the uh, portable stage. 
you know, as opposed to going, okay, I need three different kinds of products. Okay, what, can we come up with a product that can actually meet the requirements of all of these needs at their facility, which makes John's life a little bit easier because now he doesn't have to have 12 different types of loudspeakers. He goes, oh, I can just limit to two or three. You know, it's just, you know, a lot easier. The building, I know the building is is going to undergo some changes, uh, not major ar- architectural, but insofar as honoring President Kennedy and making it more interactive for people who visit here to 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 learn about President Kennedy and what he did, and for that matter, some of his family and so on. So I know they're going to put in more interactive displays. They're talking about maybe repositioning the main sculpture uh, by Robert Burks that's in the grand foyer. I think they want to possibly move it so it's easier for people to get pictures with it. You know, there's there there are many things that that people are looking at for next year to make this less of just a performing arts center and more of a, a living tribute to President Kennedy. Some of it's in the work that people do. I'd, I'd mentioned this before. You know, we have our Millennium Stages, which are a free performance every day, and it's 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 very important to the Kennedy Center that art, arts are for everybody, not you know, arts are for all the all the people that are creating it. There's no one form of art that's more important than another. If somebody, you know, puts their heart into something, it should be presented as the best we could possibly present it. And the building itself is a building for the people. You know, so the Millennium Stage, it's a free performance every day. So if you're, you know, if you're doing your big family vacation to the Kennedy Center or to Washington and you want to go to the Kennedy Center to see a show... Not everybody could afford $100 Hamilton tickets, okay? Nor do you necessarily get in line to buy them. But you could still come to the Kennedy Center and go see a show, free show at the Millennium Stage. So you could say you've seen a show. We have Sheer Madness, which is, I believe, the longest-running play in American history. Uh, you know, that's 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 a very, it's an economical ticket and it's a very accessible show. You know what? It's something that a family could appreciate, but then you could also move yourself on to opera or or international programming. Uh, And another big initiative that, that is right in line with the Kennedy family. It's one thing to be accessible on an, on an artistic or financial level, but we have in house uh, an accessibility office to make sure that the arts are accessible for people with with various with various disabilities, we want to make sure that they could hear shows. If they're hearing impaired, we have caption shows for people that are visually impaired. We have things like large print programs or programs in Braille, audio described shows. As I said before, when we did the renovations. We put in a lot of uh, seating options and so on. We spend more time on our assistive listening systems and people come to us, you know, manufacturers and so on to see about new technologies. Our accessibility coordinators are really at the forefront of making sure that, yeah, you know what, this technology is great, but if you're going to hand it to a 75 year old person who, you know, shakes, they can't necessarily push these buttons. The buttons need to be bigger. So there's that level of granularity and care that goes into making sure that these arts are accessible for everybody. That's absolutely superb. I love that description of the center being a monument to Kennedy and also a living monument to making the arts more accessible to absolutely everybody. It's such a noble, beautiful mission. It speaks to the highest purposes of culture itself. Um, So uh, coming over to you, Raul, I mean, we just heard about the 
very noble mission of the Kennedy Center. They're making the arts available to everybody uh, who wants to walk through those doors. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, one of the missions, I think when, when Dr. Harmon probably first started developing the relationship you know, with the Kennedy Center, um, I think he probably wanted something to be transformative is the word that I, that I, that I like. I, it, visiting the Kennedy Center, it's sometimes overwhelming. You know, I've been there many times, and John knows that every time I get there, I still get lost. And whether you're going down, down the Hall of Nations or and trying to get to the Opera House. And so the sheer magnitude of it is overwhelming. But once you, you start visiting and you start spending time there, you realize that this is sacred ground for the performing arts, that many have come before you to, to do their best, to present their art there. And it's, it's something that, that you need to, as a, as a technician or somebody who comes to make the sound system better, you know, you, the, the bigger picture is that we are helping that cause. We're helping that cause happen. We want to do it in the light that this is going to transform somebody's life. So that's why I call it transformative. The experience of visiting the Kennedy Center is, is something that stays, I believe, with somebody forever. And uh, I think that if we can help, you know, add a little bit of, of the technology part of it and, and make that experience uh, be all that better, then, then we're here to help and, and to help make that happen uh, so that people go back with an experience that they'll never forget. So how do you get the best sound in every seat at the world's most prestigious performing arts venue? You need the right team, the right philosophy, the right equipment and the right partnerships. Thank you so much for showing us the secret life of the Kennedy Centre, John Burke and Raul Gonzalez. Listeners, if you have any questions or comments for the Audio Matters team, just find us on social media and get involved. And don't forget to subscribe using Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer or your favourite podcast app. Be sure to check out the Audio Matters companion playlist on Tidal, chosen by our fantastic guests every week. I've added a few selections myself, including one by my father, Donal, who played the Kennedy Centre with his band Cool Finn back in the day. Next week's episode is all about Hi-Fi Higa. So turn on, tune in and get cosy. <laughs>